following message was given by Shelby Murphy on Sunday, October 22nd at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. It's good to be up here again today with you. Uh, for those who don't know me, uh, my name is Shelby, and, and I'm one of the pastors uh, here. Today I get the privilege of looking at perhaps... Three of the greatest verses in all of Scripture. Uh, so if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 4, what we just read. Verses 14, 15, and 16. If you got your pew Bible, it's on page 1003. Now, I'm not one to normally name my sermons, uh, but I'm calling this one my adverb sermon. Uh, back when I was doing some um, my graduate work, I had to take this research class. Just me and this surly music professor named Dr. Woltz would sit in one of these small study rooms in the campus library and talk through various ways to research musical topics. All of this would then culminate in a fairly big paper on a musical topic of my choosing that could then be submitted to an uh, educational journal. So I worked on this paper all semester, and I had to submit a first draft for him to look over and offer any critique. And I remember being pretty proud uh, of this first draft. It was by far um, the biggest and most comprehensive research paper I had done till, till that point. And it was on a fairly um, obscure topic, showing all the ways the 20th century composer Rafe Vaughn Williams stole musical ideas from his own opera, The Pilgrim's Progress, to create his fifth symphony. Riveting stuff. You hear that? So the week after I turn in my first draft, I get my draft back, and it's drowning in red ink. Um, and so I am immediately disappointed. And as I started reading some of his comments and suggestions, I learned that he was not a fan of adverbs. Over half of all the markings said something to the effect of unnecessary use of an adverb. And until, until that point, I didn't really know that that was a thing um, or that you really didn't need adverbs, apparently. Uh, and so ever since, I have been allergic to adverbs, um, especially, especially in, in my writing. So I was mortified this week in writing my draft for today um, to go back through it and discover so many adverbs. Um, so I'm going to apologize in advance for those of you who may be triggered by my use of adverbs, but, uh, but upon really, upon reflection and consideration for today's text, I feel it warrants all of the adverbs. Um, because in these verses, we find comfort. We find much comfort. We find much encouragement. There is a faith-building and faith-sustaining word here that I am eager to share with you today. And regardless of how you're feeling today, What's going on in your mind, in your heart? What's gone on in your life the past week? The fact that you're here today tells me that you need to hear this timely word just as much as I do. No matter what situation you find yourself in this morning, we are all in need of God's grace. We are all in need of God's provision. We are all in need of help from God that we cannot supply Ourselves And my, prayer this, my prayers this week have been that whatever you have been struggling with lately, maybe you're just tired like me. Maybe this fall allergy season just beat you down. Maybe you're struggling with doubt and depression. Maybe you've received some particularly bad news. 
this week or a bad diagnosis. My prayer is that the truth found in these verses will have exactly the effect on you this morning that God intends it to have. That you will be encouraged in your faith. That you will be encouraged in your walk with Christ. That you will be encouraged in your prayer life as we've already heard today. Maybe some of us just need a shot in in the arm. But some of us may need CPR. Some of us may need that um, AED shock pedal. And I pray that the truth and promises found in these verses will actually have the effect of changing your way of thinking. And that your faith will be strengthened. That in your walk with Christ, you will have a greater experience of God's God's grace. And I don't think I'm being hyperbolic here when I say nobody here, including me, can afford to miss what God is telling us today through his word. No one is somehow above the need for this truth and what this passage at the end of Hebrews 4 has for us today may well be one of the most important moments of application in the book of Hebrews. One of the most important moments of application to our ordinary lives in this entire book. This is one of the places where the writer, having, after having dealt with some pretty lofty theology for four chapters, pauses for just a moment and drops down into our ordinary life and speaks the truth that every one of us needs to hear and receive. So I, I just want to say right out of the gate, this truth needs to go home with everybody. The picture of your Savior that is painted here needs to be tucked away into everyone's heart and mind today so that you can regularly refer to it, regularly remind yourself of it, and regularly benefit from it. So, I know we just heard it. Let's read it again together. I mean, you can read along with me. Let's read this together. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to take advantage of what we just read right now. We want to draw near to your throne as we are in desperate need of your grace today. Even now this morning, we, we need the grace of you just simply opening our ears, opening our eyes to understand this truth. So Father, I pray that you would in your kindness bring this truth specifically to bear on the hearts of the people gathered here in the way exactly that they need to hear from you. We need that grace today. So we come to you and we ask to let your voice be heard in these passages. I pray that this truth would be received this morning, not as just mere human speech, but as the words that you want to speak to our hearts. Father, do this for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look this morning at how verse 14 begins. Since then... It's trying to summarize everything that has come before in Hebrews for four chapters. He says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Uh, Up up to this point, the writer has been calling us to do just 
one thing as we've heard the past few weeks. Consider Jesus. To fix our eyes solely on Jesus. To focus our attention on Jesus. To listen to Jesus. And the reason why he's been doing that is because there is a truth that we need to know about Jesus. And knowing this truth is going to help us persevere. It's going to help us remain faithful. It's going to help us not drift away. It's going to help us not fail to enter into God's rest, which he just said just a couple of verses prior to this in verse 10. And so he says, since then, calling our attention once again to Jesus, but now in, in, in a more summary way, since then we have a great high priest which we've been talking about for the last four chapters. And, and this summary statement is preparing us for the transition into a new section of the book starting in chapter 5. And if you think about it, the author could have actually gone directly from verse 14 to the top of 5, really without missing a beat of his argument. But before he goes there, he pauses. Um, he pauses. And he makes this great statement, this great application to our lives. He pauses as if to say all that, has, all that we've already said, all that has a direct bearing on your life. And before we go any further, I just want to spell that out for you. So he spells that out for us in verses 15 and 16. And here's what he's talking to us about today. He's talking to us about the availability of God's grace to us through Jesus. And here's what he wants you and I to know this morning. There is grace for you. There is help for you. Strength for you. Provision for you. Exactly what you need in every situation. There is grace from God available to you because of Jesus. Moms, there's grace available to you for your needs. Grace from God for you. Dads, a grace available for you, for your circumstances, whatever they might be. Singles, teens, there is grace, help, strength, provision for all of your needs. Whatever your situation is this morning, here's what God really wants you to know there is personalized grace available to you through Jesus. And if you've heard the gospel, and if you have put your trust in the truth of the gospel, in addition to the saving and justifying grace that you received when you first believed, there is now a supply of grace for you in your daily life. So these passages are really announcing a great treasure. A great resource. These passages are announcing the great privilege we have as Christians. In addition to those members only jackets that we get. This is really the ultimate benefits package. If you call yourself a Christian or Christ follower this morning. Now, if you're not a Christian this morning, if you're not a believer, please don't think there's no grace for you. There's great grace available for you, the grace of salvation, the grace of forgiveness for your sins, the grace of new life in Christ. But the grace that is being talked about here is grace for believers, grace for Christians. God is walking us through our benefits package today. 
Because up to this point, the book of Hebrews has been stressing that there is a greater responsibility for those who have heard the gospel message. We've heard this over and over again through these first four chapters of Hebrews. Chapter 2 told us, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? We have a responsibility to not neglect this precious gift we have been given. And as Tim has reminded us the past two weeks in chapter 3, it is really important to listen to Moses. But Jesus is far greater than Moses. So much so that we are warned to not ignore this word spoken to us by Christ. And all along, what the author has been stressing is the greater responsibility that we bear because we have heard a greater message. The message of salvation. This message of Jesus. But now here in these two verses, in 15 and 16, he stresses for us not the greater responsibility, but the greater privilege Till now, he's been saying this message about Jesus is a greater message. Therefore, we have a greater responsibility to listen. But now, it is the greater privilege of the gospel that is emphasized here. This privilege found in Christ. God's grace is available to us every day of our lives. I feel like I've read a lot of books in my life. Part of me feels like it is my job to read. Um, so I like to take advantage of that. But as I've gotten older, I find that I don't retain whole books anymore. I might remember a, a chapter here and there, but more often than not, it's just like a sentence or two that I, that I remember. And so as I was preparing for today, I kept remembering a few sentences I read in a book a long time ago by Jerry Bridges named The Discipline of Grace. <laughs> Again, I don't remember a lot about this book, to be honest. But these two sentences have forever been seared in my brain. So I took the time this week to go back and find this. He says this. Our worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Your worst days... I want you to think about your worst days. What are those for you? Maybe it's a particularly bad day here recently. I want you to hold that in your mind for a moment. Now hear this. Those days were never so bad that you were beyond the reach of God's grace. Now let's do the inverse. Think about your best days or what's been a really good day here recently. You got that in your brain? Those days were never so good that you were beyond the need of God's grace. We need grace and God gives grace. We need grace and God has grace for us. And knowing this about God through Christ, remembering that is meant to sustain our faith. Knowing this helps us hold fast our confession of faith. It helps us remain faithful no matter what happens in your life. Notice how verse 14 ends. Let us hold fast our confession. Hebrews has already called us to do this on several, uh, several um, uh, occasions. 2-1. Therefore, we must pay 
much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. 3.14, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Hold fast. Don't drift away. Hold firm. Persevere. Endure. Hold fast to your faith. And the reason Hebrews is calling us to that is because, as many of us well know, if you've been a Christian for more than 48 hours, you know that there is a consistent challenge to your faith. There is daily opposition from within. There's daily opposition from without. It is hard to be a Christian. It is challenging. There's always the temptation to quit. What keeps you from not quitting? How or or why do you keep living this Christian life? And, And not just simply going through the motions, but persevering in this Christian life. Exercising faith. Trusting God. Living in such a way that is pleasing to God. How how do you do it? How are you going to do it? How are you going to stay faithful? Well, it's going to be possible by what we find in these verses. This wonderful truth, this great promise that in Christ, God's grace is available to us every day of our life. That is how we're going to receive strength. That is how we hold fast to our faith. Your best days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. Your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Again, we need grace And God gives grace. And through Jesus, God's grace is available to us. So with our remaining time here, I just want to answer three simple questions from this text. One, what did Jesus do to make this possible? Two, what has he made available? And three, how do we get it? And in each case, I just want to call your attention to some word or phrase uh, in these passages to help us lay hold of this great faith-sustaining promise of grace. So, number one, what did Jesus do to make this possible? Well, the place to start is in that phrase in verse 14. We have a great high priest. If you've read Hebrews before, you know that this idea is going to get a lot of attention in the coming chapters. It is really the main topic of the next several chapters of Hebrews. And we learn a lot more about what the author means when he calls Jesus the great high priest. But we already know from back in chapter 2 the most important thing that we need to know about a high priest Chapter 2, verse 17 through 18. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The high priest offers sacrifices for the sins of the people. That's what a high priest does. 
Mark reminded us of, this, of, us of this in week one. He offers sacrifices for the sins of the people every year. Once a year, that high priest would go into the holy place and he would offer a sacrifice, but he was never done. He had to do it again next year. And in fact, he had to keep doing it every year. And he would do this his entire life until he died. And then another high priest would be called to replace him. And he would do it every year until he died. And then another high priest would replace him. And every year they would do it again. This was not sustainable. (laughs) Um, It was in one sense more educational than it was effectual. It just taught people that some sort of sacrifice was necessary for something to be done about our sins. But Jesus, this great high priest, offered one sacrifice. He offered himself. So what did Christ do? He gave himself up for us. Christ died for our sins. And he did this work very well. So good, in fact, that verse 14 tells us that he has now passed through the heavens. Meaning he has returned to God and he is now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And to further emphasize the fact that, he, that the work is done, Hebrews repeatedly says he sat down at the right hand of God. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down to indicate that the work is done. Something no high priest had ever done before because the work was never done. So with that work done, Christ is now positioned to leverage the work that he has done for your benefit. He's now positioned to bring the fruit of his work to bear and make it available to us. Everything is in place. Everything is in place for those who have put their trust in the work of Christ. The obstacle between us and God has been removed. And Christ is now at the right hand of God. So everything is in place. He has accomplished this work. And it is now possible for us to come before God and receive grace. The whole point of verse 14 is to make sure that we understand this. Because when this is correctly understood, when this is really clear... When this picture is vivid in your mind, it will be this picture of Christ having completed his work now at the right hand of God. It's that truth that will be a great anchor for our souls because we have such a great high priest. Because we know what he has done, we know what he's accomplished And that he has now passed through the heavens and that he is now ready to dispense grace. I I hope that helps uh, our understanding this morning. Helps you to hold fast to your faith when life gets hard. We need to know what's available so that we can experience what's available. So question number two, what has he made available? What has Christ, through the work that he has done, Made available for those who have put their trust in him. Look at verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. What has God made available? In one word, grace. 
It's called a throne of grace here. It's a throne where God's goodness, his provision, his riches are now available for his children. I don't know that I've ever actually seen a throne, laid my eyes on a throne in person apart from movies. But when I think about a throne, here's what I think of. I think of majesty. I think of royalty. I think of power. I think of authority. Someone sitting on a throne rendering judgment. I think of someone being lifted up, being, being elevated. But this throne is different with Christ seated to the right next to it. While it's still a throne of God's majestic sovereignty, it is now also a throne of grace because, because of Christ's work on our behalf. It has become the throne of grace. And again, that phrase, phrase needs to find a place to sit in your noodle. It is a throne of grace. It is a place to get grace. A place we need to go every day as we need grace every day. And verse 16 goes on to tell us more about specifically what kind of grace is available for us at this throne. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. Let me stop there for a moment. Mercy. You know what he's talking about here. He's talking about grace in the form of forgiveness for our sins. Forgiveness for our failures. I know I'm asking a lot of you this morning, um, or I'm asking you to do a lot of thinking this morning. Um, but think back over your past week again. Any sins, any sins in your life come to your mind? Any absolute spiritual failures? Think about all those times, whether in thought, word, or deed, where there was a failure to live or speak or think in a way that was pleasing to God. Maybe it was an impatient word that was spoken or a comment that was made that was motivated primarily by the desire to, to put yourself forward. But I want you to think about those times this past week. I'm, I'm sure you have a list in your head like I do. We need particular grace for those failures. We need to know that there really is grace of forgiveness. The grace of forgiveness. So hear me. If you are in Christ today, God is not holding your sins against you. Those sins have been through the work of Christ on the cross. Again, for those who have put their trust in Christ, those sins have been forgiven and he wants to remind us of that today. He wants us to know that we don't have to be weighed down by sin, by our failures, robbing us of joy in this life. There is a particular grace of mercy that God has for his people. That's one kind of grace. But there's another, another form of grace here as well. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here's what I hear there. There's grace for every circumstance we are in. There's grace for daily responsibilities. There's grace for daily challenges. There's grace for resisting temptation. There's grace for sanctification or growth. I, I know many of us feel like God, am I ever going to make any progress in this area? I want to change. There's grace for that. God has 
God has grace. And Christ knows you. Christ knows us. He knows what we face. Read verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Christ has been fully inside the human experience. He's been inside of our skin. In fact, he has experienced much more than we will ever experience. No one on this planet before or since has experienced the degree of spiritual desolation that Christ has experienced. No one has experienced the anguish of the soul that Christ has experienced. No one has experienced the severity of temptation that Christ experienced. He has fully entered into our human skin suits. And here is the amazing thing to remember. He hasn't forgotten. It's not as if having passed through the heavens and returned to the right hand of the majesty on high, that experience is now something in his distant past that he would just soon forget. No. He's taken his humanity along with him. He remains like us. Even though he's been glorified and now has returned to the right hand, he's, he's fully God. Yet he has remained fully man, so he has not forgotten. Let me just give you a quick lesson in musical physics. If we rolled a grand piano right down here this morning, and I walked up to it, and I hit middle C on that keyboard... Do you know that you aren't just hearing middle C? You're actually hearing all of the harmonic overtones associated with that note. Now, without getting too deep in the science of how overtones work, basically, when you strike that string on the piano, other associated strings reverberate at the same time. If you actually roll two pianos side by side, and hit that same note on one, the other piano would resonate the same harmonies as that, or same harmonics as that piano. It will respond. This is, is actually called, it's actually called um, a sympathetic resonance. It's exactly the same in our relationship with Christ. There is no note that will sound in your life that isn't at the same time resonating in your Savior. He understands. He sympathizes. He identifies. He knows. That's the way it is between Christian and Christ. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. And so whenever we're drowning in our weaknesses, when we are in desperate times of need, there's grace for us in the form of mercy for sin. There's grace for us in the form of help for present and future needs. There's grace for you personally, and it's not limited grace. God's grace has no limit. This is not just some religious sentiment that is presented here, some kind of nice picture. It is exactly what God wants you to know, exactly what God intends, that he stands ready to give you grace today. Let me just add one more thing here. 
A a literal translation of Hebrews 4.16 goes something like this. Therefore, let us approach with boldness the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace for a well-timed help. The familiar translation that we're all familiar with is find grace for help in time of need. There's no contradiction between these two translations, but the familiar one draws attention to our need. And the literal one actually draws attention to God's timing. Both are important. Look, we are an impatient microwave people who want our grace hot and ready now. But the literal rendering of this verse reminds us to seek God not only for the kind of grace we need, but also for the timing of the grace that we need. This has implications for how we think about this. And it goes without saying, but God's timing is weird. (laughs) God's timing is sometimes odd by our finite earthly standards. A well-timed help might be different from God's God's perception than, than ours, but his sovereign perspective is always best. It is always grace to us, and it should always be trusted. And and really, uh, until now, I've stressed that personalized grace and help for you. But as a church, we also need God's help. We need it for the sake of our own weak faith. We need help to inflame the smoldering wicks of our zeal and passion. We need it for empowering in evangelism and missions to unreached people groups. We need it for authentic worship. We need it for courage in righteous living. We need it to transform our kids into God-centered, humble, respectful young people. We need it for protection and emboldening and joy for our missionaries. We need it for guidance in future plannings. We need it to meet all of our financial needs. In all of these needs, God has grace for a well-timed help. Our responsibility, our privilege is to approach him boldly as a church and to find it and to receive it from the throne of grace. And we have every reason to believe he will hear us and to help us at the proper time. Now, question three, how do we get it? What do we do? Look again at verse 16 where we find what is probably one of the most important invitations in all of Scripture. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. What do we do? We draw near and we do so with confidence. What does this look like? There's a drawing near. There's a coming before God. There is an addressing of ourselves to God that is marked by trust. Because because of our understanding of what Christ has done and what is now available to us because of what he has done, there is an actual approach to God coming before him, addressing him. And this is something that God has made available to us. And, and, and maybe I'm wrong here. But I feel like as soon as I start talking about the specifics of this, of coming to God, of drawing near to God, as soon as I say this word prayer, 
you hear my sad trombone play in, 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 in the back of your mind. And you tune me out. You hear that word prayer. You either feel guilt and shame because you know that is not something that you're characterized by. Or you feel a bit of disappointment because you think prayer is just some religious activity that is so far removed from the real world. Instead of what God's word is telling us here, it's the means by which God has made made it possible for every one of us to come before him. If we fail to draw near, if we fail to approach God in prayer, in bold prayer, if we fail to do that, we miss out on the gracious, plentiful resources that God reserves for those who draw near to him. So let me dip back into summer Proverbs mode for a moment. How foolish of us not to pray. How foolish of us not to draw near. How foolish of us to not give the time to respond to this wonderful invitation to draw near to God. If we don't pray, we're really making a statement that even though we might believe in God, we think we can get through the day just fine without him. And we deprive ourselves of help and mercy. These rich and timely resources that we all need. Don't let your lives with all of its difficulties, with all of its challenges, don't let it draw you away from the throne of grace. In fact, maybe ask yourself as you reflect today, how is your life drawing you away from the throne of grace? Or the inverse, does your life make you want to draw near to the throne of grace? Has your life with all of its difficulties and all of its challenges distracted you? Has it made you in effect draw away from the throne of grace? And let me end here. We need to remind ourselves today we have a great high priest who has sacrificed himself for us and made it possible for me, for me, to draw near to God. He's made it possible for grace and mercy to be available to me in all the various ways I need it. We need to regularly let this understanding cause us to draw near to the throne of grace in prayer. This invitation from God tells us to come without hesitation, without tentativeness. We should be filled with a great confidence, not in ourselves, but in Christ, because we have a great high priest. And he is seated at the right hand of God. And he invites us to come and get grace every day. Redemption Hill Church, your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. You have a great high priest. You have a wonderful promise of daily provision. Are you taking advantage of it? Are you drawing near and taking advantage of all that God has for you in Christ? Well, we have another opportunity now to draw near to him.
So let's pray together this morning. Father, this morning we don't want to be those who either out of ignorance or out of arrogance fail to come before you and receive from you what you so generously provide and what we so desperately need. Thank you for your word to us today. Because of it, we don't need to be among the ignorant who are unaware that such a thing is even possible. That whatever grace we need, whether it is the the grace of forgiveness for our sins or whether it is the grace needed in a particularly challenging situation or grace that is needed to face a particular temptation that is regularly occurring in our lives or the grace to speak boldly about what you've done in our lives whatever that is today whatever it is we need today father because of your word we are no longer unaware that that grace is available to us and Father, I, I'm, I'm keenly aware of my own heart today and the temptation that, that we all face to some degree. Not so much of ignorance, but of arrogance. Of failing to come to you each day, drawing near to you and acknowledging our need for grace and receiving grace from you. Father, forgive us for our arrogance. Set us free from our self-sufficiency. Set us free from this pride as it manifests itself in thinking that somehow we can believe in you but go into our day without your help. So Father, I pray that even this week, even today, there would be a breaking of that kind of pride so that we would increasingly be a people who understand our need for you and run to your throne of grace. Thank you that you've made a way for us to draw near to you. Thank you that there's no need for us to hesitate to draw near because your son is seated there, having accomplished the work, having made a way, and is now eager to make grace available to his children. We don't need to be tentative, but can confidently approach you because you've told us to. Increase this this desire in all of us to approach you like this in prayer, to draw near and experience your grace. I pray that our experience of your grace would be rich this week. That we would love and trust you more as a result of drawing near to you. Let our lives be marked with your fragrance. And even though we may feel wayward now, make us a Godward people. Order our hearts now as we confess and reflect on your word today. Receive our praise as we sing and give you thanks for the fact that there at your right hand is one who lives for us to give us grace in our time of need. And we pray this in his name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Shelby Murphy given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org.